Father Thomas Loya. Thanks so much for being on with us today. You're welcome. Uh, glad to be here, honored to be here and um, be associated with anything that you're doing. It's great stuff. Speaking of great stuff, and this is totally unrelated, but if you're ever in Lamont, Illinois, please stop by Father's Church because it is amazing. He has done much of the iconography in this church. He's a, a Byzantine priest. He can tell us a little more about himself. So just, just a plug, if you ever happen to be in that area, please stop by his church and see his beautiful artwork because he's not only a great priest and a great warrior in this particular area that we're going to be talking about, but he's a very accomplished artist as well. So Father, thank you so much for all you do for the church. Maybe just tell our listeners as we begin a little bit about yourself. Okay, I'm a, uh, what's called a Byzantine Catholic priest. That's uh, one of the Eastern rites of the Catholic Church. In the Catholic Church, there's actually different expressions, different, what they call rites. Uh, same belief, same pope, same, same theology, and so on, just that it's uh, uh, expressed differently according to how the church developed over the centuries and what area developed in. So my particular tradition comes from Central Europe, Eastern Europe. That area was evangelized in the ninth century by the Byzantine missionaries. So they brought the Byzantine style of Christianity there, you know, the liturgy, the spirituality, and so on. And so that's what I am. Uh, but I also do work uh, with the Tabor Life Institute, which we formed here for uh, all, all the issues having with marriage, family, chastity, sex, human sexuality, according to God's design. Uh, also, as you mentioned, yeah, my background is in arts, do a lot of art. I have a degree in counseling. So uh, do um, all those things for the, hopefully the glory of God. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Father, thanks so much again for your priesthood and for serving the church. You know, we talk a lot about marriage and family, and I'm just always reminded when that topic comes up about the message from Sister Lucia about the final battle between the kingdom of hell and the kingdom of heaven and how it would come over marriage and the family. And I think we see those attacks so much around us, you know, when we look at everything, you know, from culture to, you know, even what's happening in the church. And so I, I wonder if we could go at it this way as a culture, have we lost a sense of beauty and is, a, is that loss of beauty actually perpetrating our problems that we have around us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We haven't, we haven't lost it completely. And first of all, the desire for beauty and the recognition of it is actually stamped deep in the human heart because God made us in his image and likeness, and God is true, good, and beautiful. So the human person does respond intuitively to beauty. The problem is that has gotten in a sense, sort of muted or buried in layers of what is sort of anti-beauty. Uh, and the reason for that is because as we, as we move away from God's plan, from a God-centered life, God-centered cult, uh, civilization, uh, we, we move away, therefore, from beauty. Because you can't, you, you know, beauty is of God. God is beautiful. So as we move away from God, we move away from beauty. Now, a lot of this is actually, uh, in a sense, conspiratorial, but I mean that in a real way. In other words, the God's order of creation is beautiful. So evil is going to want to work against that sense of beauty. It's going to want to take that away. So what's happened over time, especially in our time, uh, the, the sense of beauty, the sense of real beauty and God's uh, design, God's plan, which is beautiful, has been 
in a sense, negated. It's been infiltrated and replaced with what is not beautiful. Uh, and one, of the, one of the ways that that happens is in things like the, the communist ideology. If you've ever seen communist countries, and you see this is actually happening in our culture in a, in a kind of sophisticated way, their countries are very, very ugly, very, very bland. They, 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 reduce, they destroy beautiful imagery. They, they destroy the beauty in the church and civilization. Uh, everything is very dark and bland. Because it, communism at, at its heart is anti-human, anti-God. So therefore, it's going to be anti-beauty. And so we've had a lot of this infiltration, this kind of ideology. In other words, it's an ideology that wants to replace, essentially replace God and, and everything that is about God and replace it with a whole new order. In other words, according to what, what we want, according to ideology. So you have to get rid of all the established as. Uh, all established forms of, of beauty, according to God, and replace them with something that is not going to be beautiful. And so we're moving away from that. Yes, yeah, so there, there is still a sense of beauty, and there are beautiful things done. I and mean, you can't erase entirely from the human heart because it, it's stamped in us. Uh, but the overall sense uh, of beauty is, uh, is being, has been seriously eroded and replaced with really blandness, ugliness, uh, kind of like a like a neutrality, a gray. Although it's this talk of equality and sameness, this is re- this is reduces uh, the beauty that God has put into His created order. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this brings up another question about beauty being subjective. You know, we hear that phrase out there: "Beauty is in the eye of the beholder." But I have to say, I've seen some really ugly art. Uh, there's some really ugly music out there. Yeah. Uh, you know, is that true or is there an objective beauty that we need to not only have, but rediscover as we talk about this aspect of beauty? Absolutely. There is a, a, there are objective principles of beauty. In other words, it even goes back all the way to the ancients. They discover, they actually discovered, and then Christian art uh, picked up on that and, and developed it even more. They actually discovered, in a sense, you want to call it secrets. There, there's like secrets that God wove into beauty. Like, in other words, what makes something beautiful? These are fundamental principles. And, and, he, and, and God allowed humanity to discover those and to perceive those and to use those when, he, when humanity created things, whether it's art, architecture, music, whatever. So, yes, there are objective principles. There is an objective definition of beauty. And there is, yeah, there's a subjective element to it. You know, it's something like this. It's like um, if you have to kind of learn how learn many and cultivate uh, an appreciation appreciation or taste for higher things. For example, if all you eat is fast food, okay, you have to learn how to appreciate uh, nutritious food, good food, and when you do that, you eventually will. Uh, look at the fast food and go, no, I don't want that. I want the, the real stuff. It's that way with music, art, everything. Uh, you do have to cultivate beauty. It's, it's, it, it's potential is stamped in us, but you have to cultivate it. You have to know what it really is and, and develop that, that eye, that appreciation for it. And when you do, then you, you don't go back to the other thing because you've seen like, like the real thing. So, uh, as you said, yeah, there's a lot of things that pass for beauty and art and so like that, but they're really not. They may they may be subjectively to someone, but they're not really. For example, now, like I'm an artist. Okay, okay, I went to art school. Why did I go to art school? To learn more so the principles of beauty, right? I, I, 
you know, it's, and that's why you go to, a, or, or a musician goes to a music school to, to learn music, to, to learn what it really is. Uh, and, and so that shows that there are objective principles to true art, true beauty, true everything, cooking. There's an art to everything. Everything has an art to it in, in this creation. And, and it has certain principles to it, no matter what it is, a mathematics has obviously has principles. And if you talk to a mathematician, they'll speak about mathematical formulas as beautiful. They'll see the beauty in it. The principles of beauty that are in music or art or anything else are also in math and science and physics in nature. And we're, we're called to, to learn those to, to, and to develop that because then we come out with the greatest beauty. That's why the church produced so much beauty in civilization because the church was about God. It unlocked, it, it kind of got into God's mind. It, it learned from God how you make things, how they reflect God, how they're beautiful, how they make sense. And so, yeah, there's a certain subject element to beauty, but, but real beauty has to be cultivated and, and uh, formed in us. We, have, we all have the kernel of it, the potential, but we don't always recognize what it really is. And that has to be cultivated. It's cultivated by seeing it around you, by, by growing up with it. You know, these great composers, you take like a Mozart or something, he just didn't wake up and started composing. His father <laughs> was a musician. He was surrounded by great musicians. In other words, he, he, he developed, he had a sense, an ear for what was beautiful. And then, of course, he had an innate a gift for it. So it wasn't like it just comes out of the blue. Uh, same thing with artists. Uh, same thing with um, anyone who excels in things that produces something good and true and beautiful always had some early exposure to it. Uh, and so it, it, we have to be, we have to form children, especially in this, by, by that atmosphere of, of true beauty. Father, how can rediscovering true beauty actually be a secret to helping our healing from sexual brokenness? Do you think there's a correlation to that? Oh, very much so. That fact, that's one of the, I think one of the best remedies for healing, because when you, when you, you know, we are what we eat in a sense, not just with food, but with what we take in, what you, what the eye sees, what the ear hears, you, you are what you take in, in a sense, it forms you. So the thing is, is to have things that people take in through their senses and so on, have those things be correct have them be beautiful because then it forms the person it goes in you like it, it forms your soul your heart your mind your 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 awareness of things your your, your sense of of seeing and so uh we we need to do things like in our homes and churches and so on is to expose people to especially children to uh, true art like, like have you know reproductions of great masterpieces just have them around have other great art that's maybe made in our time, you know, the, that's, you know, been made somewhere you got, you bought somewhere or something, have those things around, have them exposed to music, just play the music in the house, play classical, just have it playing and um, uh, read to them, um, you know, good stories, you know, great literature. See, exposure is the most important thing because from exposure will and sort of an omnipresent exposure. It's like everywhere. Good food, cooking. What is it right? Even manners, it's etiquette. In other words, there's an art to even eating like a sophisticated human being. There's a way to do everything that is of a, of a higher nature, which means we're, 
we're reflecting the fact that we're made the image likeness of God and God's order creation, God, the King of God has come on earth. So, I mean, it's fulfilled in heaven, but in other words, everything should have this higher, more transcendent character to it. And, and the way we learn that is by exposing children to that in every aspect of life, every discipline, every subject matter, everything. Father, what are your thoughts about art, sexuality, nakedness, uh, just in reference to that exposure aspect? Because, you know, when you look at the area we work in, like pornography, it's, it's very ugly. It is not beautiful in terms right. of recognizing the gift of our sexuality. It's actually the opposite. So how do we take that <laughs> without ruining innocence, of course, right? Because that idea of having a millstone wrapped around our neck, um, not really great. So how do we take that and bring that into our families? And then even for the church leaders, how do we bring that into the church? Okay, we have, we have a precedent. We have an example. That's a church itself. We, we had great art in the church from the very beginning, which used the motif of the human body, and even the ancients did. And the key to the human, using the human body is in how it's presented and how it's perceived. See, the human body in and of itself, and this is St. John Paul II did just uh, voluminous writing and, and thinking on this issue. The human body itself, even its nakedness, is not in itself, in itself, an occasion for lust. It's how it's presented, how it is perceived. So it's in the presentation. So uh, I highly recommend that people have good art in their homes or exposure to like, like I take people to museums, I show them, I point things out where, where the art is using the human body in various stages of nakedness uh, in, in a glorified, a, a very beautiful, glorious, innocent manner. And f- now, for example, the Sistine Chapel, you know, floor to ceiling nudity, right? But, you, but no one could even possibly look at any of that and be moved to lust. Why? Because the way Michelangelo presents it, he's presenting the body in its incarnational form and its eschatological form. In other words, the, the body as revealing God, the magnificence of the human body, because God incarnated, he took on this human body. So what Michelangelo was trying to do was give the vision of the incarnation. That, that God, Christ, took on this human body. Therefore, it made it glorious. It was from the beginning. And in, our, in, the, esca, in the eschaton, you know, the end of time in heaven, our bodies and souls will be reunited. We'll still be, have a human body and, a, and our souls, but somehow it'll be glorified. It'll have its ultimate glory and beauty and destiny. Present, that, that is what is being presented in the Sistine Chapel. And when you look at something like that, you're moved to awe, you're moved to prayer, you're not, you're moved to innocence, you're moved to a sense of God and, and the glory of the human person as revealed as being in the image and likeness of God. You're not moved to lust, even though it's full nudity uh, in, in most of the paintings, though. And if you and if you go to a lot of other Catholic artists who had that vision, uh, you you get the same sense that so you can you can have this kind of art uh, and and, and as long as it's presented in, in, in the right way, and also uh, it's also perceived in the right way. And what happens is when you do that, you actually, form, just like pornography can form your brain, like literally form your brain cells, you know, deteriorate them. Well, good art can actually form your brain cells to recognize this beauty, say in the human body, 
but and therefore, just like I said about food, just and therefore you find anything that's less than that to be not attractive, detestable. Like you said, pornography is, is ugly. You don't want to see that because you see the real thing. And when you see the real thing, uh, what you do is you you allow it to move you to prayer. You give glory to God by seeing the beauty of the human body. I, I work with when I work with men and so like that, with with lust and so like that. He said, when you see uh, a, a attractive woman, even if you see these billboards, which are basically soft porn, you know, you can't avoid them wherever you are. Uh, move, make it, uh, let it move you to prayer. I call it see, pray, and pass on. You see it, praise God for making beauty, praise God for the, for the fact that he makes such beauty, and then move on. Uh, and, and so that's how you can avoid lust and see, I call it seeing sacramentally. Sacramentally means whatever you see, you see it in light of God. You see God revealed in it. You see God's work, handiwork in it. And that, that then moves you to prayer. You give glory to God for such beauty. Now, you can do it with a lot of things. You do it with a flower, a painting, whatever. But you can also do it with the human body. And, and the, the, one of the ways you do that is just by practice. Uh, and especially by, by kind of feeding your eyes, your eye, mind, heart, soul, on uh, art that has presented the human body in a very dignified, beautiful, evangelical way. And, and, that, and Catholic art has always done that through the centuries, because Catholic art has understood the incarnational value of the human body, that it reveals God. It's not in itself an occasion for lust. Now, if you present it that way, yeah, but not in itself. And, and I think this is where we have to go. We have to kind of cross that threshold and retrieve what we once knew. The ancients knew this. Uh, the, the early Catholic art knew this. But what happened was we, we got infiltrated with these sort of Manichaean heretical ideas. In other words, where anything physical is somehow less and more debased and can never be seen as revealing the invisible, revealing the holy. But that's precisely what the human body does. It, it and it alone makes visible what's invisible. It makes visible the invisible God. And that's how we have to see it and present it that way. And that'll, you know, it'll like, it's still like a, when the sun burns away clouds, you know, it, it, like, like seeing that kind of beauty, the real thing will burn away the desire for the false thing, you know, for pornography and lust. Yeah. You know, that's a, that's a really great point. We have a lot of ministry leaders who are listening to this podcast, both Catholic and Christian alike. You know, what advice would you have for them in terms of helping their flock rediscover beauty? I would, I would recommend that they um, have people read commentaries, like even excerpts from what John Paul II did. Even if you're not, if you're not Catholic, don't be afraid. Just see him as as a man, as a holy man that had a lot of insight into this topic, a lot of insight, beautiful insight. I would. Make sure you, you read uh, excerpts from him on these things, especially from his book, Love and Responsibility, and also his Theology of the Body. L- learn that. Secondly, I, I would do things that help expose people to, especially young people, to great art. Don't be afraid to have uh, pictures uh, but it's of great art. You know, great artists, great masters that were very, very Christian uh, many, of course, Catholic, but, but, but Christian artists who understood the proper presentation of the human body have other kinds of beauty around, too, in music and art, not just the human body, but also that. Uh, but, and also point out the, the differences, like 
what makes, uh, and I do this in one of my talks, I actually demonstrate what makes something um, pornographic or, or, or uh, 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 inappropriate or lustful. There, there's actually a formula that, that is used. Uh, you, you, you can explain why, why, for instance, a human body that is presented like Michelangelo did, that is totally nude, can actually be a source of modesty and purity as compared to a body that has some clothes on it. The clothes, depending on how they are, like for example, a thong bathing suit, a bikini, those, those, it's clothed, right? It's not a naked body, it's got some clothes on it. But those clothes, a lot of other things too, like these, when they call them yoga pants, whatever, a lot of these styles actually are purposeful occasions for lust because of the way they work visually. It's a whole subject I can get into, but even if you show people the difference, like when you we help, uh, especially young ladies, understand what modest dress is. Modest dress is not, and what is immodest. What is immodest is those styles that present the body in such a way where it traps your eye and accentuates certain things by its design and angles and so on. Modesty presents the body in its totality, in its complete femininity. It doesn't mean you're, you're wearing burkas. You have to be covered from head to toe. That's not what it means. You, you can have a very beautiful feminine dress, but that it, the way it's designed, it, it does not trap your eye. It does not accentuate certain things. It simply uh, presents your overall femininity, which women shouldn't be afraid of that or ashamed of that. And so you can do it with learning about the differences in styles, differences in what makes something like I call it soft porn. That's really what we're surrounded with today is soft porn. You know, billboards, all that's really soft porn. Uh, what makes that soft porn versus what would be a more pure presentation of the human body? What, what is the difference? You know, start training people to see. Um, take them to museums. Have them look at art books. Have even little sessions on, on art. You know, bring in people. Maybe you can uh, talk about art. You know, art teachers or artists. You know, I do a lot of that. I use art a lot in my, in my talks. So it, the idea is to, to kind of remorph <laughs> our vision more back to how it, it, it was, you know, when, when we presented um, the human body and art and we had more of a sense of, of beauty. So it's, it's a multifaceted thing, but uh, we, we, just have to, we just have to be kind of proactive in this so we can cross that threshold and really how to see, how to see and from that, how to pray how to be pure. That's really good. And, you know, I think it's important too for our ministry leaders that are listening, because if you go onto a social media platform, you are going to be inundated with the not so good beauty, you know, the fake beauty, the misuse of the beauty. And, And our people are seeing that on a daily basis, especially our young people. And so I love how you're talking about bringing in those artists and sharing that rich experience with yes. true beauty because if we don't they're going to see the ucky stuff that's online yes, so oh that's such a beautiful thing thank you so much for sharing that father if anybody wants to get connected with you at the Tabor life institute where can they go how can they get connected best way is just to give us an email send an email it's at Tabor, like mount Tabor in the bible Tabor life l-i-f-e Tabor life at earthlink.net Tabor life at earthlink.net Excellent. We'll be sure to put that in the show notes for all of you who are listening so that in case you didn't get it, don't worry. It's going to be right there. Father, thanks so much for being on with us. We really appreciate your time. And just looking at this unique aspect of not only battling pornography, but rediscovering 
the beauty of the sexual gift that we've been given. Thank you very much. Yeah, that's the key. We have to learn to see sacramentally. We have to that's learn beautiful. to see the invisible God made visible in his physical creation that he created. It's all there. He, he's reflected there. We have to see him there. And it's two pronged. You see, then you live according to that vision. If you see God, if you see God present in the beauty of his creation, whether it's a human body, a flower, whatever, then you then you act and live according to that vision. And that's going to get you the real purity of heart. Uh, see, purity of heart has to come from the heart. It has to come from the inside out. There are things we can do externally, yes, but it has to come from the inside out where you're actually seeing, this is how you see it. This is how you look at life. Uh, and uh, once, you, once you do that, then you'll see you're going to have a lot, a lot of strength, even a kind of, kind of a, a certain sort of inoculation or vaccine against <laughs> lust and pornography because you'll have the real thing in your heart. You'll, be, you'll mm. understand it. You'll see that you'll be attracted to it and you won't want the bad stuff. You actually come to the point where you won't want that. It'll be like a turnoff. It won't be attractive to you or luring to you anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Father, God bless you and thank you again. Thank you. Thank you. God bless.